1: This is Brian Reisman. Welcome to Side Gems. Throughout her nearly 25-year recording career, siren singer Azam Ali has crossed the boundaries between the old and the new, blending timeless Persian melodies and folk sounds with other international influences, medieval music, even modern electronic instrumentation. She calls herself a sonic architect, someone who creates warm illusions, whether it has been through the organic alternative world music of her first group Voss. To the electroacoustic Middle Eastern sounds of Niaz, to the often ethereal global tapestries of her solo work. Hassam wrote, produced, and performed most of the parts on her latest solo album, Phantoms, which is more electronic in nature than previous efforts, yet equally beguiling. It includes a cover of Cocteau Twins, Shallow Than Halo. Hassam's artistic aspirations and passions extend beyond music. For episode 11 of Side Jams, she spoke with me via Skype from her home in Los Angeles to discuss her fine art composites with photography, admiration for writers, and fascination with the world of dreams. Our conversation, recorded near the end of 2019, entered more personal territory as she opened up about her life's odyssey, which began in Iran, continued through India, and then ultimately led to the United States. We were in the midst of a three-hour interview for Billboard that also led us into this spontaneous side jams chat.
2: So now for the side jams thing, is there, are there any hobbies or outside interests you have, things that you're passionate about?
3: One of the things I got interested in around 10 years ago is... Um, well, when I was very young, I used to paint, and okay. um, I originally were think- was thinking, um, before I decided to go into music, I, w- I wanted to become a miniature artist, so, you know, those really fine miniature paintings, and um, I'm very detail-oriented, I have OCD, so it's also very therapeutic for me doing that, and then eventually the music kind of um, took me in a different direction, but 10 years ago, right when I started getting very much interested in technology and learning how to produce and program myself it started really with adobe with the entire adobe suite photoshop after effects i got into photography and then being able to manipulate photography okay and i started taking my photographs and creating fine art composites where i create these sort of surreal worlds non-existent worlds where you compile things. And um, so I'm creating the fine artwork now. And for a long time, that was just something I never thought I'm ever going to share with anyone. It was my escape place. It, it was the place I escaped to um, from music because there's so much pressure on you when you are kind of in a band and you know you have a team of people around you. They're all depending on you to deliver and it becomes really tough sometimes. So I want I needed to have one other artistic outlet where nobody expected anything of me and it was just a place for expression. And then I started creating these fine art composites and then I started sharing them with friends and they were all like, you, you got to show this, you got to, you got to put this out there. So I've just actually, um, through my uh, website, I've just made the first eight pieces sort of available and they're prints, They're beautiful prints, actually, I, they go as large as 40 by 40, but wow. 20, by 20 is what I like. And you should go look at them. So that's kind of my, my side passion, which is becoming more and more. So I have this idea of I, I want to have a art opening sometime next year. I want to have a show with, with these pieces. So I, I kind of want to explore and see where that's going to go as well. So it's still like my music in many ways, you know, the mood of it.
2: Hey, I'm assuming you're the model for all of these.
3: Yeah, they're all self-portraits. They're all sort of it's something telling a story about something about myself.
2: So this is this is a combination of photography and
3: actually it's all photography. These are all pictures I've taken myself in separate elements, you know, like for example, let's say Night Songs know.
2: of the Wanderer. Because you're wondering, there's you're like wandering between these two rows of candles and you're holding up a candelabra with three yeah. candles so, and you're just wet dread dress.
3: The sky is a picture I took somewhere where I liked the way the sky was looking that day. The ground is just from a fall uh, I was just somewhere in the fall landscape and I took the picture of the le- uh, of the leaves. And then um I took the self portrait of myself in my backyard and then holding that candelabra. And then all those candles, I just stuck them in the dirt in my backyard and then photographed maybe four or five different candles. And then I just multiplied them. So then, then I have a, but with this, what's interesting about this fine art series is it's a completely different approach to the way I make my music. I can't wing it on these. I have to have a very clear idea. I have to see this image in my head before I go to photograph myself, because I can't just wing it and say, oh, like the way I do with music sort of organically where, oh, I like the sound. Let's see where that goes. I have to imagine that I want to create this figure walking through rows of candles, holding that. And it's a very dark environment. And then it's it's so so it's a lot more conceptual.
2: I mean, half of them have a dark environment or majority of them have a dark environment. There's some lighter environments here.
3: Also, I deal with the raven because growing up, you know, I, I was afraid of ravens. So they kind of held a very dark place in my psyche. So I really want to make that a major aspect of the artwork I create. It's kind of reconciling sort of that childhood fear I had of them. And now I've learned to love them. I find them extremely beautiful.
2: Well, like you have this, this image of you, your, your backs to the camera. You're facing a giant moon in the sky with your hand held up, almost like you're giving yeah, a... to
3: the moon, yeah.
2: Like showing allegiance to the moon. Um, I, it's interesting. You have a, even the lyrics in the new album. There's a lot of nighttime imagery. It's moody. It's melancholy. And you and I. I mean, these are very dreamlike images. And you and I have talked about the fact that we have very vivid dreams that we remember yes. when we wake up.
3: Yes. Like the one actually, the, the first track I recorded the first visual, visual piece I created was the one called Trust. Yes. With me floating over the ocean. I mean, and this is a sequence I've seen in a dream. You know. There are times where I wake up and I'm actually really upset that I woke up because it was so vivid and I've even had days where I have such intense dreams that it affects the way I have my day. It's almost as if I had a, as if those experiences really happened. Does that ever happen to you?
2: It's interesting. I actually, I feel like I have a very, such a rich dream life that I live two two lives that I, because I don't know if this happens to you, but I have dreams that, there's there are themes that surface in certain series of dreams over time like i had a period where i i was dreaming that i had sort of two different places i had an actual separate office from where i lived that was in this apartment building but i could still live there and i had another place neither of which is the real place that i live in or any place i've ever lived (laughs) and it's almost like i would go in there and i'd recognize it instantly and i knew it was there and you your mind creates this backstory of these people you don't know but yet they're there Yes. And you know them, and, and suddenly I'd wake up. Those things would keep coming back. Yes, it's, it's like your mind's working out certain things, and whatever it it creates, like it's creating these movies in your heads, like almost like a or a TV series.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, and you know what? I've passed that on. My son gets that from me too. He'll he'll recount his dreams to me sometimes down to certain details i mean i remember details you know so it's it's beautiful actually it's a wonderful i I think it's such a wonderful uh gift that we are able to have that experience you know i look forward to going to sleep at night a lot of people don't
2: oh i do i love dreaming
3: yeah let's see where i'm gonna go tonight a lot of times i dream in my flying dreams especially i go to places that i can only describe i probably visited another planet you know There'll be trees there with flowers that are glowing, you know, or I'm flying over an ocean. And I've had dreams where there was one particular dream I had where it was really like visiting another planet because we couldn't expose ourselves to the outside air. So we were all living inside this sort of structure in this planet, you know, And, and then I'll remember details, details of that. It's amazing.
2: Well now you have uh, this image trust. It's like you're there's a giant raven over you and you're bound and it's holding you up over the over the water.
3: The ocean and then yeah. there's a hole which is about to just if I fall by the I'm hanging by that string and yeah. if I fall, that's it, I'm gone. And a lot of this I called it trust because that's what trust is often is something that you fear, hence the raven again, something I feared as a child. Often trust is not about the absence of fear, but um, taking an action despite the presence of fear, which is also the same thing as courage. You know, I see those as being so intertwined. So it's trusting this figure that that for me was something I was so afraid of as a child. But it's now holding me from falling into that abyss.
2: When well, I was speaking of Raven, you have a piece called The Key. And you're stuck here It's like you're in a birdcage, like sort of Arabic themed birdcage here almost looks like you have like the tops of a mosque in each of these three and in different parts of it. And there's a raven above you holding a key to let you out. Like you're trapped by the raven.
3: Yes. What the key is actually the way I see it is the opposite is that I'm trapped in there and the raven has come to bring me the key.
2: So does that mean that you are then uh, you're, that's when you're getting free of your fear.
3: Absolutely. It's so much of it is getting free of phantoms. My album is about freeing myself. You know, we didn't talk about the the concept of it but a lot of this the concept which came much later on as I started expressing so much of this past Azam and I had to going back to 80s and 90s it was a very tough time for me also you have to remember I moved here from India I'd come from 11 years of boarding school and I had no friends no family and it was an incredibly lonely and difficult time for me yeah uh, so music kind of got me through I, I almost immediately got into music and my gateway band was Depeche Mode you know that's I think originally where I fell in love with technology and what was great about that whole dark wave movement is is their, their choice of melodies and the way they you know is I related to that coming from the east because I, uh, our music is about melodies it wasn't it, it, you know what I mean so yeah i got into that and all that music it got me through such a dark period but it was still a very very dark period so by the time i finished the album i realized i i I started thinking about how we all you know if you're lucky to grow old how we almost have so many lifetimes within one lifetime you think about maybe the person you were 10 15 years ago and what you were living and who you were living with and your other relationships and it's almost like someone else, you know, You there's this kind of disassociation with who you used to be. And I started thinking about that in terms of phantoms, that, you know, we have, we develop these multiple personas. And even today in our lives, who you are with your girlfriend, who you are yeah. with your colleagues, who you are with, you know, um, your friends and so on and so forth, they are so different. And we've moved so fluidly through these without even thinking about it that you are being somebody else. And I wanted to reconcile all of these aspects of who I am and kind of make peace with the Azam in the 80s and 90s who suffered so much and struggled so much and was so depressed. And music saved her. And um, it became about that for me. And that's why I called it Phantoms. It's about reconciling all our personas and those ghosts that live within us and will continue to live with us as we develop more personas, as we get, if we're lucky enough to keep getting older and living, you know, the artwork kind of is a very similar, it's a completely different persona of who I am, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I look at uh, the print here for Childhood Dreams, which is more light. I mean, it's you standing on a chair holding up a giant dandelion. Yes, Um, And there's, you know, a a lush green hillside in the background. So that's uh, got a more positive.
3: Actually, I created this one for my son because my son was obsessed with dandelions when he was little. You know, he's almost 12 and he has this huge light hanging in his room and it's a giant dandelion. He was always obsessed with them. And one of my favorite memories with him is something we did regularly. We'd go into dandelion fields and just for, for hours he could pick dandelions and blow on them. So this was a piece I kind of dedicated for him. It's really a a sort of tribute to all of us being able to keep the child within us alive, you know, no matter what we're going through in life, that we keep that that innocence and that curiosity alive.
2: Well, it's impressive because these are self-portraits you've done. So when did you begin photography?
3: I want to say same, same around 10 years ago. It all kind of started together. You know, I, I originally thought I should go back into painting. And then I realized I just didn't have the skills for it. Yeah. I wanted to create something that was, that it needed to be as sophisticated as my music has become, you know, which means yeah. you have to develop a craft. And I, I, I thought if I go back to painting, it's going to be so mediocre. And nothing terrifies me more in life than mediocrity. I, I have very little patience for that. I have, I have no respect for mediocrity and um, I'm I'm such a perfectionist. So I knew that if I go back to painting, it's going to be very mediocre. And yes, maybe I'll express some things, but I would not be happy with the results. And as a result, it would make me actually more frustrated as an artist. So I wanted to explore mediums that I knew almost, you know, within a few years, I would be able to create something that would be, sophisticated you know i mean i like to think these are of course i create them and i've put them out there because i think they're really good but it wasn't until those few people in my life who i really trust looked at them and said you need to show these you need to share these with people
2: have you done any exhibits
3: no, that's what next year. Actually, I'm planning on doing an exhibit next year. And one of the things I've done, actually, I have a couple videos on YouTube where I've taken um, now my next level is animating them. So I don't animate all of them. It's all about for me, how I can blend in mediums. So one of the things I'm doing now is I'm animating the artwork in after effects, right? And then I'm composing original pieces of music just two minutes. Okay. this is kind of what I'm really interested in doing now is just creating the artwork, animating it and then writing music for it. Okay. so that's the first one. You can listen to it later. And then the other piece I really love that I did and this I just did for fun and I gave it to fans as a free. It's the only other cover I have done so far. And I want I'm curious to know if you would recognize it did you click on it it's called come Wander with me yeah so this is actually a cover of a very famous i don't know if you were ever into the twilight zone uh-huh. i used to love the twilight zone and this is a song from it's a 1961 version of a song from the twilight zone that i did i, I just was obsessed with the song and i just, i was like i gotta just record the song in my way in my world so i did a cover of this twilight zone song you have to listen to it later and that's another one of my artwork that I animate
2: it. So what I'm seeing with both of these videos, like Come Wander With Me and uh, over here with Lady of the Lake, is like there's the sky or the water is moving in the background. The image yes. is still, but like you're you're slowly bringing in moving elements to the visuals.
1: Yes.
2: And uh, so well, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're gradually expanding and doing other things. It's interesting because, you know, your new album, you, you pretty much did it yourself, most of it, you know, in the studio. And it's the first time you've done that. It's, it's unusual, isn't it, sort of, doing that more in a solitary environment rather than a collaborative effort
3: it's very different and and i think you know also i mean i'm i'm not a feminist by the i'm not like a me too feminist in that sense i'm whatever that means it's it's actually it's a terrible thing to say but i I think it gives a certain idea of kind of you know what i am a feminist in my own right um to put in simply it just means that I believe women and men should have equal rights to everything. So I'm that kind of a feminist, you know, but I still like when gentlemen open the door for me. It doesn't mean I can't open the door. It just means it's nice. It's nice when someone opens the door for you. Um, But a lot of this album also, I think for so many years, I'm collaborating. I'm, you know, I've also always grown up. Men have always been my best friends. You know, I have a tough time, um, finding close female friends. But everyone I've ever collaborated with so far has been men. And a lot of times um, you end up sitting in the sidelines because, and I don't think it's anything deliberate in that sense. It's just the way it it has been structured in this field, in the music business. And especially in the electronic music scene, there are some remarkable female artists, but still not as many as I would like to see and a big reason why i deliberately was not going to bring in um anyone else to program the album with me is that it's kind of a statement about what what it is for me to be a female artist and that you can defy genres and roles as a female artist that we are capable of doing it all and more than anything it was a statement for myself because after so many records you know 13 albums I realized I've always had somebody by my side. It's always been a male. And there is this um, kind of perception. Even like the last Niaz record we did, The Fourth Light, I did majority of the programming, all the beats and everything myself. Okay. It's interesting that not a single review acknowledged that. People just associate me with singing. So they always assume that somebody else had produced music for me and I came and I sang on it. And it bothers Bothers you after a while, you know, because course, you're yeah. you you spend so much time and energy to develop a certain craft and um, be able to express yourself deeper when you have the means and the skills to kind of produce your own music. It's it's something so different. So I I knew that even if I brought in one other male producer to kind of program even one song with me on this album. It would so easily, the focus would get shifted, you know, onto who the male producer was. In that sense, also, I I, I wanted to make a huge statement with this album about roles and genres. It's really about that. It's about transcending roles and genres as a female artist.
2: But do you think that by also having this visual art, that'll help further make the statement that you are very much an autonomous artist?
3: You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I love and what I'm passionate about in, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm so, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm, I'm, I'm just a very honest, I don't know how else to be. And honest in the sense, I, I, I'm not saying it in terms of kind of trying to, you know, make myself more grand. I'm still uh, very fragile as a human being. You know, I've, I've lived a difficult, I had a very difficult childhood. And I endured a lot. And it's not a joke to change countries as many times as I have, to destroy a life and rebuild again from scratch. And for me, art is the place where I will, till my last days on earth, I will, this is where I'm going to be to endure. Because this is when you, you get into the deep stuff. I mean, it's really, for me, art is always about, and it's, an, it's a platform for me to heal myself. You know, I'm not a religious person person you know but i am a spiritual person and um for me this is where i come you know for me there's no nothing greater than art in terms of where i come to for healing and but what people probably get when they go to church or to mosque or to temple you know it's this is where i come where i find my healing and transformation and then hopefully i create something that is meaningful that i can then offer to others and they can find those things in um, what i have created so whether it's visual art or music or whatever else it is that i decide to do um, it's always going to come from that intent of first needing needing for myself to heal myself
2: so your family went from iran to india to the states
3: yes well actually my family didn't go my parents uh I actually came from a, you're you're probably the first person I will ever discuss this in an interview with, but I like you a lot, and as I'm getting older, I'm feeling a little bit more okay about sharing intimate details about my life, but actually I came from a mixed religious family. My mother's side are Baha'is, and my father's side are Muslims, Okay. and it was a marriage of love, and I had a brother born before me, and he died at the age of one while my mom was pregnant with me. And over the death of my brother, there was just so much um, pressure, you know, between just multi-religious family. And they ended up getting a divorce. It ruined their marriage. And my mom Uh was pregnant with me at the time. So I was born already into a very tumultuous situation. My mom was a badass woman. You know, she was the first woman in her family to become educated. She became a nurse and she worked in one of the biggest hospitals and tehran but she couldn't look after me you know she was also very damaged and um and at that time when uh women got divorced especially since she was not a muslim the chances that she would get the rights to me were next to nothing so her best choice at that time was sending me off to boarding school in india and she sent me to this english boarding school where i lived for 11 years i actually grew up by myself Wow. And she she would come to visit me, but then the war, you know, once the Iranian revolution took place, she couldn't leave. And so I didn't see my mother for about seven years. And then she came to India when I was uh, 13 years old. So I had not seen her till I was 13. And then she lived in India for two years. And then we came to the US together under political asylum because we couldn't go back to Iran at that time. So when I came here in 1985, um that was the first time in my life i was living with my mom and by the time i was 18 i was out i couldn't i couldn't live with her so so that was that and so from iran to india then from india to here and then when my son was born i didn't want him to grow up in la it's just not a easy place to raise a child so when he was 2 we moved to montreal for 7 years and then wow. i i couldn't do the winters so 3 years ago we moved back to la because all my work was still coming from here, I was still working in Hollywood, and it just made no sense. And I missed the sun. You know, I'm, I'm a daughter of the desert. I don't, I don't belong in minus forty degree weather. So uh, I couldn't do the winters.
2: And I, I inherited my mom's uh, tropical blood from her growing up in Cuba. So
3: yes, <laughs> and you can't, you can't actually. You're just your body is not built that way. You know, you start breaking down. And um, and then we moved back here, but it was. Honestly, by the time we moved back from Montreal, and it was just once more for the fourth time in my life, like packing my life and moving back, moving to another country was just—I thought I don't have it in me anymore to do this, you know. So I'm here. I am. I don't know if I'll end up doing it again, but uh for now, here I am.
2: And in a way, that that explains a lot. I think of the tone of your music and and these and these visual art pieces as well
3: yes because you're growing up without roots you know that's one thing people take for granted is what it what it means when you are connected to roots and you grow with that connection but when your those roots are cut off when you're so young you're constantly reaching for something to hold on to that's going to separate you from oblivion you know just and music became that home for me because I didn't have a homeland. So music became my homeland. Almost immediately, when I was fifteen, I, when I when I first started beca- listening to music in a different way, I, I realized this this is home. I build my roots there. You know.
2: Well, we've talked about your dreams and kind of recurring symbols and ideas that are, are, are to a lot of these kind of themes about your you're not having roots show up in your dreams in your dream world.
3: Um, have it show up in my dreams, meaning in what roots of Iran?
2: Well, I mean, you sort of talk about having a lack don't feeling, feeling like you have roots. Do you do, do you feel like a lot of that manifests itself in your dreams or in your dream world? Do you actually have roots that are created that you didn't have you don't have in, in waking life?
3: Actually, what I love about my dreams and when I say because I have so many flying dreams and I'm always flying in these unbelievable landscapes, you know, I, I really think of myself as a bird in so many ways. Hmm. Even I've been told that people there, I, I once met a man who, he, his job was studying body language. Actually, he would sit in interrogations and study people's body language and he pointed out to me that a lot of the my body reactions were like birds and that was the first time anybody had ever said that to me, which I thought was so intriguing. He said when someone walks in a room, the way you kind of sit up and the way your body language reacts, it's very much like a bird. And and it made perfect sense. I thought, here I am, someone who has who's constantly flying at night, you know, and I have this man telling me that you know I have my body reaction is like that of a bird, and I think part of that is uh, I've I've come to peace with it, you know. It's uh, we're, we're all I'm always coming back to the words re- reconciliation because that's what my art is about, that and transformation, and I think. Um, I am now gotten to a point in my life where I celebrate the fact that it was sort of my fate to not be tied down to one particular root, that I'm I'm meant to be a world citizen and someone who is not... is tethered, the word that you want to use in this sense. Right. Is that, you know, I'm not connected to any one particular thing. You know, like, I'm someone... Um, one of the reasons I always struggled as an Iranian artist is that I never took pride in in the in my Iranianness, whatever that means. And and Iranians used to say, "Well, do you are you not proud of being Iranian?" And I I used to say, "Well," and I still say it. I d- I don't even know what that feeling is because it's so arbitrary. The geographical lo- location you're born in, the religion you're born into, the sex you're born into, those are su- such arbitrary. Occurrences, and for me, it's always been about the kind of human being you choose to be. That should be what you should become proud of, not something so arbitrary as the geographical location where you're born. So, in many ways, I feel that not being tied to those kind of roots has made me a lot more free. I think that's the best word I can use. I'm free.
2: Are there any types of art forms that you'd like to explore?
3: actually, I love writing. My husband always tells me I should write more. I love writing essays actually I don't think I would people tell me you should write a book about I have no patience, but I love essays you know I've, it's I'm so passionate about them. actually, the, I ended up meeting the member one of the members of Cocteau Twins because I wrote an essay that got published um which okay. uh, that that got published about they asked me to write why I covered Cocto Twins and what it meant to me and he ended up reading the essay and writing to me. So I love
2: Was it was it Simon or Robin?
3: Simon. Simon reached out to me. So it it's you know, I see those boundaries between music and writing and painting and photography, all of that, they're so blurred for me. I would I would love to write more, but it's such a it's such a difficult expression. You know, I I find I have so much respect for writers, so much, because first of all, you can't even have a glass of wine if you want to write, you know, that already like...
2: Well, you could, the writing would end up being a bit different.
3: Yeah, but you know, it's just, it's so like, for me, and and one thing that happens for me is when I want to write, I I need to read for an hour before I start writing, because it puts my brain in a very particular space. Like, Mm. I'm not one of those people I can just sit and start writing lyrics or, you know, I have to read and I love poetry so that's kind of like I I think for me that was uh, as a child in India you know I discovered Tagore and he's my favorite poet and writer and he's a philosopher and so much more you know for me he's, he's one hair away from being a prophet you know I related to his writings a lot and they're so esoteric and again they don't they're not limited to things like geography or religion and they're not confined in that way And I found so much solace in his writings when I was uh, younger. And to this day, when I want to write lyrics for songs, I'll just sit and read 10 of his poems and and I start writing. It just puts me in a very particular place.
2: That's cool. I'm beginning to learn as a writer that I do need to have a certain mindset. And sometimes it's better for me not to be in my apartment. I kind of have like a pop culture museum here. Sometimes if I visit my parents, it's a different headspace for me to write in I'm trying to teach myself to go back and do a lot of the night walks. You know, you're, in the, you're, you're into the nighttime, a lot of the imagery in your lyrics and your, yeah. and, your, and, your, and your art. So, I I mean, I do it for a living, and I'm, I'm usually writing what other people's art, but I'm doing some creative writing on the side. And it's, t- it's a lot of brain power. People don't realize you can't just crank out a million stories at once. It, and the same thing Absolutely. with you with composing music. You can only do so much, and then your brain just shuts off for the day.
3: Exactly. But writing is so much more difficult than making music. I mean, honestly, you know, there, there are huh. some especially now that I've developed my craft so much you know uh, once I have an idea I feel like I've found the structure I can I'm pretty much to the point now where for like three hours I can go on autopilot in terms of production you know I'll go on autopilot and I and I it turns out very well but you can there's there is absolutely no autopilot in writing how you choose one particular word when you have the option of 10 others is for me mind-boggling you know my, I have a, few well, it's a Same
2: as instruments, right, though? Isn't it the same with like a melodic construction or instruments? I really
3: don't compare it because for me, writing is, the, in terms of all the artistic expressions, for me, I think writing is the most difficult. I have a few friends who are writers, and when they finish a book, I, I'm blown away. How, how did you do that? How did you write an entire book in one year? You know, It's so remarkable. I think it's the one art form I admire the most and t- because it's also not something that... It's something I love doing and wish I could do, so I have a great admiration for it. I wrote this post recently on social media, and people laughed so hard. For me, grammar is sexy. Actually, I find grammar to be so sexy. When people write me emails and they take time... To write properly i I love it, you know, I just think that yeah, that's great I think that has been lost in time where we don't write anymore we don't you know people now they don't even like to capitalize the first letter of the alphabet after the full stop it's become so lazy, writing is everything is about mediocrity now, you know, so
2: and, and too many l o ls and OMGs
3: yeah, forget all that nonsense, you know, so when someone takes the time, dear Azam, blah blah blah, and do you know when to stop, you know when to use your, the proper punctuation. I know it sounds ridiculous but i love that i i have actually when i look back throughout my life i've had crushes on people because of the way that they wrote i would read their writings and i would develop these crushes on them the way probably some people do about musicians but i, I love writers you know and i think it's also very the other part of it that i relate to is it's another very solitary work no one can help you write you know
2: yeah well, now I feel better about my job.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, you should. I have, you know, I'm still one of those people I read all the reviews and, you know, uh, people write and I just I think people who are able to describe music in words are remarkable people, you know. It's it's for me the hardest thing to do because music is so intangible and in order to make it tangible, you have to be able to describe it in some way. I, I can't do it, you know. I can't do it. So the fact that there are people that that's what they do for a living—it's—it's it's beyond me. It's beyond me how you do it. So yes, I would love to become a better writer someday.
1: You know, it's one of the I was going to mention, but just at the end, I'm trying to find it because I have the Prince book. You know, his sort of memoir, and he made a comment about dreams actually. And I want to see if I can find it. Of course, I have to see if I can go through this whole thing now.
3: It's okay. I'm patient, he- and I'm not in a hurry. I think you and I could uh, talk for like 5 hours.
2: Well, we've already talked for 2. Oh, here we go. Okay, so, you know, just I wanted to bring up something about dreams because I was reading the the prince a sort of the a sort of memoir called The Beautiful Ones which has some of his notes and then has a great introduction by his the uh the writer that was going to be collaborating with him. This guy Dan uh I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. Um, there's, a, there's a passage here on page 42, and it says, you know, Prince obviously died three months after they started working on this project. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Vanity had died, I think, during the time they were starting to collaborate. So he was, so Prince was you know, contemplating that because she was the same age as him, and they'd been involved when they were younger. So here, here's a quote from the book. One of the people closest to him told detectives
1: that after his last show in Atlanta, he'd said that he'd, quote, enjoyed sleeping more these days, unquote, and that maybe it meant he'd done all he was supposed to do on Earth waking life was quote unquote incredibly boring at the first piano and a microphone show he did on that tour in 2016 he actually said I like dreaming now more than I used to some of my friends have passed away and I see them in
2: my dreams it's like they are here and the dreams are just like waking sometimes
3: wow
2: and I wonder about that sometimes for a while you know my Syrian grandfather after he passed away he'd show up in my dreams and I'm not you know I'm not a religious person and I'm pretty agnostic bordering on atheist I don't really know and yet you know there's a point to which he would he would appear in my dreams and it was it was interesting that's like i was willing him to come back you know it's hard to say i mean there's people that think when you dream you go off into some alternate dimension or that's something that's connected to real life but and i have friends who don't remember their dreams at all they wake up and it's gone and they don't even know what was going on whereas I, like you and i wake up and i can write it down i have dreams yes. from childhood i still remember
3: yes Yes my do you know my son remembers even being in my womb he actually will describe i remember being in there i remember really i remember a red light he always says That's the, freaky. the red <laughs> he would say there's a red glow and i remember the sounds these kind of muffled sounds he ha, he he can trace that memory you know so it's it's really beautiful do you ever have okay i i have to ask you because actually majority of people i know they'd never remember their dreams my son is the first person i've met you now second Wow, really? Who, who really, yeah, I don't know that many people who who actually um, uh, study their, uh, who who have these kind of dream experiences. But do you ever have times during the day where the world just feels so surreal to you? Like almost like it's not real?
2: I think when you get caught in a rut, especially creatively, or when you go through like a, a stressful situation or maybe at times you're depressed there's times that certain things come out there's also times that i think we're so used to life being portrayed this happens through the media and it happens in a way we're used to life being portrayed in a certain way that when something unexpected out of left field happens you don't know how to react to it um almost like we don't prepare ourselves for the unexpected and maybe that's is that is that how you feel sometimes when things get surreal like this couldn't possibly be happening
3: yeah that's but it doesn't necessarily have to be around a particular circumstance because yes, I know that there are stressors in life that sometimes make things surreal and you know, yeah. it's this, it's our, we go into a sort of fight or flight mode kind of surreal, but I'm just talking about sometimes I'll just be sitting somewhere and, and it's a perfect moment. There's nothing to be. And then suddenly there's this, like this weird paradigm shift. It's just like, wow, you know, like it just feels a bit surreal. I, I really cannot articulate it, but Sometimes I wonder if that happens to me because of the way that I dream that that it overlaps what feels real and what doesn't feel real sometimes. It's possible,
2: you know? I mean, we have we have we have overactive imagine or people would say it the say we have overactive imaginations. It's like it's one of the reasons I've never done drugs. I mean, my mind is already twisted enough in so many different ways that I don't know that I would want it to get any weirder. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and my my dream my dream life already gives me a lot of trippy stuff.
3: Yeah yeah it's wonderful but yeah but you know I'm the you know going back to what you said about you know one of the most beautiful things about life you know I mean I have all kinds of friends in terms of where they are in their spiritual life or religious life there I have friends who are hardcore atheists I have friends who are very religious you know they go to church every Sunday or they go to mosque or they go to temple and and all of that. But for me, actually, the reason that never had worked for me is I I think one of the greatest things about life is mystery. I love n- knowing that I will never know the answers and I will never have certainty about things. I have no certainty that I'll die and then it's a light switch that will just turn off and that's the end of it. And I have no certainty that something will continue. But I right. love that mystery of it. And it's it's enough for me. The mystery is actually enough for me. And I realize most people are uncomfortable with the mystery. They need to have some kind of concrete uh, I- ideology to cling on to that sort of makes the day-to-day meaningful for them.
2: Exactly. You know, I think about that in terms of, like, I'm a big horror movie fan. There's a lot of supernatural films where they, 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 people don't... A lot of times, you know, everything is laid out, especially with big, bigger horror movies. They want to lay everything out so there's a resolution and you feel comforted that you figured it out. When, in fact, a lot of times in life, relationships end, you don't get all the answers. Sometimes you will never know the answers to things that are burning questions in your mind and you have to accept it. And sometimes you can understand something without having it be explained to you. You can just feel it and understand it. That's something that in, in Western culture we don't seem to know, be as good at. Of capturing that kind of mystical idea, even without not, not even just in a religious context, just something instinctive and intuitive that people don't necessarily tap into.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the one thing that I do love, I have to say about you know, especially growing up in India, I love the idea of rituals. You know, like even if you go back to like ancient, you know, Sufis and all of that, trance music, yeah. all of that, you know, for me, that is something very interesting, you know when you get together as a collective and you perform rituals and then you have a collective out-of-body, otherworldly experience. like th- Those things interest me, you know? But uh, other than that, yeah, it's I'm, I'm never gonna be able to conform to that kind of ideology.
2: Right, right. Well, cool, well, thank you, thank you.
3: Thank you so much, Brian. You're so amazing. We're, we're, I feel like we would we become great friends.
1: That wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. Please join me for the next installment, which will feature moonspell singer Fernando Ribeiro. The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I licensed them through AudioSocket. As always, thank you very much for listening.